This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'll be buried in my watching my fellow Americans with your host, Spike Cohen. Yes. Yes, it's me. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Keep clapping. Clap for the New Year miracle. How do we know that you desperately want 2020 and its nightmares to be left behind if you didn't keep clapping? Welcome to my fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. Thanks again. Uh, and I'm no, I'm not going to keep uh, opening by saying literally for 2021, but I'm I tried it for this. I might do it. I might keep doing it. Thanks for tuning into this uh, be- year beginning episode, the first episode of 2021 of My Fellow Americans. We have now been in four different years. Started in 2018, went through 2019, 2020. Now here we are, 2021. Bigger and better things on its way. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is, of course, a Muddy Waters Media production. Check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Anchor, Twitter, Periscope, iTunes, Google Play, Float, the Float app. Dump all these other ones, go to Float. We are on Twitch. We're on Spotify. We're on all the different uh, 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 podcasting platforms. We are everywhere. 
Like us, follow us, five star us, hit the bell if you're on YouTube. That's very important. You have to hit the bell. Otherwise, you're not going to have your phone blowed up with notifications every time uh, our video comes up. We definitely want that to happen for you. And be sure, of course, to share this right now. The last thing that we want is for you and your closest loved ones to miss out on a roughly hour-long libertarian podcast in the middle of the week. Be sure to give the gift of Spike Cohen today. Kids love it. This episode, of course, is brought to you by the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, the fastest-growing waffle-related caucus in the history of all political caucuses of any party in any country. Be sure to go to the Facebook group Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus to become a duly sustaining member, we'll call it, with sustaining member, and you can buy a button there too. There's a link there. You can buy a button so that you can, everyone can know just how dedicated you are to both Liberty and Waffles. This episode is also brought to you by a brand new sponsor, Nug of Knowledge Smokable CBD. We're selling smokables, y'all. Uh, smokable CBD, um, it, is, uh, it is not your everyday, uh, Nug of Knowledge is not your everyday CBD supplier. A portion of the profits go to help end the war on drugs, uh, that one there in the green uh, is uh, probably not legal in your state, uh, but you sh- you can you can get it anyway. Maybe I'm you know I don't. That's up to you. Uh, it might be legal in your state, but if it's if weed's not legal in your state, that one's not. But the other ones are. Um, but the uh, portion of the profits go to help end the war on drugs. Uh, they also have a compassionate use program that donates medicinal hemp products to veterans and people with disabilities who cannot afford uh, these natural remedies. And uh, many who uh, use uh, Nug of Knowledge products say that it helps with joint pain, stress relief, or a much-needed pick-me-up, especially that green one. <laughs> use uh, checkout code SPIKE for 10% off. <laughs> Back to my roots. <laughs> and uh, this episode is also brought to you by personal injury attorney Chris Reynolds, attorney of law. If you are personally injured anywhere in the uh, greater Tampa Bay area of Florida, be sure to go to chrisreynoldslaw.com and he will get you as much money as is lawyerly possible given whatever injury you have sustained. The intro and outro music to every single episode of My Fellow Americans ever is brought to you by the amazing and talented Mr. Joe Davi. That's J-O-D-A-V-I. Check him out on Facebook. Go to his SoundCloud. Go to his Bandcamp at joedavimusic.bandcamp.com. Buy his entire discography. He is incredibly amazing. It'll cost you like 25 bucks or something like that. You can buy all the music he's ever made. It's fantastic. Be sure to go there right after this episode's over. I'd like to thank Kroger for this delicious purified drinking water. That I'm drinking on this episode, Bulavanaka. Mm. You can taste the Kroger. Shout out to Taron Turks' mom, and as always, folks, my guest tonight is a world renowned investigative reporter and also the author of a book that came out uh, just over a month ago called Slanted, uh, which talks about the uh, growing bias and uh, narrative driven nature of major media. Ladies and gentlemen, my fellow Americans, please welcome to the show my next guest, uh, Ms. Cheryl Atkinson. Cheryl, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to have you on. Before we get started on, on your book and, and the narrative-driven nature of, of media today, 
real quick, what is it that actually, out of curiosity, what was it that that made you decide that you wanted to get into uh, being a journalist in your in the first place? Where did you always want to be a reporter, or was it sort of an aha moment, something that happened? What what was it that led to that? Back in my day, it wasn't really well known as a profession. I'm talking about, gosh, late '70s, early '80s. And I think after my first year in college, when you have to redeclare your major, we all want to be psychiatrists and attorneys, I think, for our freshman year, and then we have to get serious. And um, <laughs> the girl that I was going to college with said she was going to do journalism. Never heard of that as a profession. I asked what it entailed. And when she talked about it, it sounded like right up my alley. I love to write. I guess that's my first love, you could say. And then I also think I have a sense of fairness and a logical mind that likes to do the kind of comparisons and puzzle solving that lends itself to investigative reporting. So it turned out to be really just a, sort of a lucky thing. Well, it seems to have worked out well for you because you're you're as well known as pretty much any other investigative reporter out there. Um, now, as a libertarian, uh, we often libertarians often joke about being on watch lists or being uh, watched by the FBI. That's a common uh, a common joke that we have. But you actually had that happen. You were actually spied upon by the people in the highest levels of government. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I wrote about that in my first book, Stonewalled, sort of the lengthy revelation. I never dreamed I was being subjected to government surveillance because this was before Edward Snowden and before mm -hmm. we knew the government was spying on Associated Press reporters and Fox News reporters and so on. So I didn't dream that was the case, but I happened to have, long story short, some sources in the intel community that alerted me that Americans were being spied on, American citizens by the Obama administration in a way that had never been done before and that people would be shocked if they knew. And I was alerted that because of the reporting that I was doing, I was likely being surveilled too. And I was able to have a contact, looked at my CBS laptop computer first, and then my personal desktop computer that I use at home. And the forensics, which we have built since then through many independent examinations, filled in a lot of really chilling holes about how long I was surveilled, the types of software that was used, the material they captured, um, the tools they use such as Skype to secretly activate Skype when you don't know it's on and they can exfiltrate files and listen in on your audio when you don't know it. Wow. Uh, capturing passwords, they entered the CBS computer system. CBS issued a news release about this some months later. And um, I'm still fighting in court because the Department of Justice, which is responsible in a way because the agents work under the Department of Justice in, in part, who were responsible for some of the surveillance, they're still defending the agents all these years later as I spend my own money trying to sue in court since they're not going to prosecute. That's incredible. And it's, yeah, it's it, from what I've read, they're, they're pretty much stonewalling you in court as a result of it. And now this all came out of, a, a, as far as you can tell, as a result of your investigative reporting on the Fast and Furious gunwalking scandal. Is that, is that correct? Well, I was doing so much reporting that powerful interests didn't like, whether corporations, some even that Republicans wouldn't have liked, and certainly some that Democrats didn't like. It's hard to know exactly what yeah. triggered it. I think I was certainly not the only journalist that was being spied on. So it's not as though they said, oh, Cheryl's doing the stories on Fast and Furious. Let's go after her. They were capturing a lot of American citizens and journalists in operations to surveil what they were doing. We now know the extent of some of it. And I think 2016, since that was never prosecuted or handled previously, was an outgrowth. Our intelligence community continuing with their, some of them, bad acts and their spying and surveillance of U.S. citizens. 
So yes, they did definitely look at my Fast and Furious files and photographs and exfiltrate information. There was a continuing operation also while I was covering the Benghazi story, the Benghazi attacks by Islamic extremist terrorists in Libya on American citizens. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was just sort of a lengthy uh, operation of surveillance that I was under as well as other people. Well, that that is, I mean, it, it's it's incredible to think that the government is basically spying on, at this point, almost everyone. I mean, Edward, you mentioned Edward Snowden. His revelation was that pretty much every electronic communication we have is being spied upon. But that's, I mean, we can do a whole other episode about that. Let's talk about your book. So in Slanted, and I, I read it, um, it is uh, a, a pretty uh, damning uh, series of examples of the growing bias that is in media, and not just the the individual bias, but the fact that media as an institution is increasingly being driven not by an attempt to actually seek out the truth, but an attempt to have a, a, an already attempted narrative and then build from that and 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 basically cherry pick whatever you can for that narrative. Um, can you talk about that narrative? Can you talk about why you think that narrative happened in the first place? Because in reading through it, you know, one of the biggest things that I that I had a hard time walking away with is why is this even happening in the first place? Is this a result of, you know, uh, too much corporate influence? Or what do you think is the biggest reason behind it? I really try to, I think it's well put the way you said it. And I spent a lot of time in my last book, The Smear, dissecting the industry that's responsible for this, the multi-billion dollar smear industry, which is comprised of LLCs, nonprofits, political action committees, global law firms, corporate law firms, you name it. And they figured out over time, as I tried to describe, how to get their nose under the tent at news organizations to get us to report certain things a certain way, to use their narratives, their language, to not report certain things. And they were largely successful at this. And we did not, in my view, um, as, as an industry, put up the appropriate firewalls to keep it from happening. So in the 2005, 2006 time period when I was at CBS News and recognizing this encroaching infringement upon fair reporting by outside interests and that was becoming somewhat successful, mm -hmm. I alerted um, you know, people inside CBS, including our attorneys and said, we need to figure out how to do more than just play defense after the fact when these industries either successfully prevent us from reporting something or use these organized attacks with their partners in the media and social media to controversialize a story, to say false things about it, to, to claim the story's wrong and debunked, to attack the reporters. We need to do something more offensive now that we see this industry growing, which can be very harmful to us telling the facts as they are. But the sad truth is, you know, we're so busy just being reporters. We're not in the PR industry. We didn't develop a defensive strategy that was good or an offensive strategy, and it's only gotten worse. And now I posit, I hope with um, pretty good evidence, that not only are these interests impacting the newsrooms, they now work in our newsrooms. We've allowed them to come inside. We're one and the same, which explains this crazy dynamic where even if the news organization covers something following virtually no ethical standards and guidelines that we learned to follow in journalism school. Right. And even when they're proven wrong about what they report, there are often no repercussions. They almost dig down, double down and say they were right or just move on because their mission was accomplished. If you look at them as propagandists who are out to push a narrative to the public to try to make them think a certain way, they're doing exactly what they intend. And it's not, you know, a mistake on, in their, on their part 
when they get it wrong. Yeah, it's not a bug. It's a feature at this point. And it also you talked about the increasing panelization of news, that there will be a news item. And instead of simply presenting the facts, they then have a panel, which usually the panel is largely made up of people that already agree with their predetermined outcome. Many cases, people that actually gave them the outcome and the information, and then now they're on to talk about it. And maybe they'll put on one or two you know, token opposition just to make it look like it's, it's fair and balanced. And, uh, and it, it's an incredible dynamic to see. And it's, it's really sad because... Not only does it often, you know, drive us into being divided, but it often ends up backfiring. You know, in in many ways, they were so hyperbolic, or at least part of mainstream media was so hyperbolic about, you know, reporting, uh, you know, about Trump that it it kind of inoculated the public to to the way that Trump is. So that now, for example, you know, a lot of people are seeing this this uh, you know revelation about Trump uh, trying to get the uh, uh, Georgia Secretary of State to uh, to find. Uh, votes and most people are are kind of to have fatigue about the whole thing. They're like, yeah, you tell us that Trump's terrible every single day, and uh, you know, do you think that they even care at this point? Do you think that it matters that 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 it matters to them and that they might retool, or do you think that as long as they've just got people thinking the predetermined narrative, that's all that really matters to them? Well, they only need a certain slice of the audience. I find hope in the notion that whatever you think of Donald Trump the pervasive ubiquitous narrative was how dangerous he is and you can't vote for him and so on. But tens of millions of Americans did anyway, including something like 10 million more than last time, which again, like him or not, shows you that a huge segment of the American population, as you said, has grown inoculated to these narratives. In fact, they may believe quite the opposite when they hear something put out or when they see a fact check, a fact check done, they may start to learn that that's really a code for something that's true, even though the fact check says it's false. When there's a label that goes up on Twitter, these ridiculous labels, that's that should be a cue now that tells you somebody important doesn't want me to look at this information and believe it. Maybe it's true and maybe I should dig in more. So when you talk about the backfiring, that's where I find a little bit of hope in these trends that I see as very dangerous to our information landscape. But if we can start look, looking at these things like you say, they've gone overboard with them. So I think they, they are less effective with a certain segment of the population. On the other hand, there's a segment that does not have time or desire to dig in, like right. maybe some of your viewers and listeners do. And I think that's who they're going for. Just repeat something over and over again, true or not. And that's the top line that some people will walk away with and ask no more questions. I hope that that is what I can take from as many people voting or the fact that Trump actually got more votes in 2020 than he did in 2016. I, part of me wonders if it's that there's just a growing counter narrative that's happening on the right side. I mean, you look at Fox is increasingly digging into a, a I guess, you know, the right of center version of, of what's happening in CNN and MSNBC. And then you've got, you know, organizations like OAN, uh, OAN or OANN and things like that. Newsmax that are kind of just sort of delivering the right wing version of, of what has been happening in, in mainstream media. Do you think that there's a real like demand for unbiased news or often when people are saying unbiased, does that just kind of mean agrees with me? That's a good question. And I think there is a demand for both. And I've spent right. a decade asking this question as news has become polarized. Mm -hmm. Even people who like to get their news from CNN, which is left-leaning, or NBC, which is left-leaning, or CBS, right. which is left-leaning, 
or whether they get their news from these other sources that you said that are right-leaning, all of those people that I've asked still would like a place where they can turn to that's more like CNN used to be when I worked there, when it was a news organization back in 1990, where they can just take at face value, more or less, the facts that are reported without thinking that's a narrative that someone's trying to shove down my throat to the exclusion of other facts that may exist. They still, people that want to hear what they want to hear still would like to go to a place where they don't have to discount what they hear according to where they heard it and feel like they're still getting uh, a fair recitation of facts and information. I think there's a huge market for that. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Um, I, 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 Having just run for uh, vice president and seeing that of those who even knew who we were, that they often had their their own you know narrative built in before they even had you know had a chance to listen to us. I hope that however things go forward politically, we need to be able to have you know mainstream sources of media that aren't trying to dissect things ahead of time and give you a, a driven narrative. Now, I, I will say this: it, it's sort of a um, I guess, devil's advocate. There is an argument that some are saying that media actually needs to be even more biased in the way that it covers news. And and they'll give, they typically, as they usually would, they'll give an extreme example. So for example, they'll say, if one prominent figure says that uh, all Jews must be rounded up and killed, and another prominent figure says, no, we shouldn't be rounding up or killing anyone, uh, the media, you know, shouldn't, you know, come in and say that, you know, that, that present an unbiased uh, 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 presentation of the, of this debate that they should come in saying, well, of course, we shouldn't be rounding up and killing people. Um, obviously, that's a very, very extreme position. But do you think uh, that there is a line where reporters should either stop being objective or or at the very least be, be coming in with some kind of level of moral clarity? And if so, where or what do you think that line is? I don't think it's something that's a rule that's true in every single case, but as part of a general guideline, I would say things that are illegal, in other words, murder, rounding up people, killing them, that sort of thing, you can generally, as a news organization, be willing to take more of a position of right or wrong. In other words, you can't decide off the front, in my view, without attribution that somebody's guilty of a crime, but you can certainly report that someone is accused of a crime and what's being said about it. And it's certainly fine to report it with as if it's not okay if somebody indeed is accused of doing heinous crimes and violating the law and that sort of thing. But very few things, as you know, fall along those lines. More likely what we're seeing today is valid viewpoints, or maybe someone doesn't think it's a valid viewpoint on the other side, but that's a matter of opinion. Or maybe somebody finds it distasteful, but that's kind of none of your business as a news reporter, in my view. And too often, we're just saying off the top, this used to never, almost never be done, by the way. We're saying off the top that your delicate ears as a viewer or listener should not hear these facts, should not read these studies, should not hear these viewpoints, because we don't trust you to make the same discernment that we want you to make that we've made for ourselves. And I, I think that's way overstepping the bounds of a job of what a journalist has. It's led to bad reporting and inaccurate reporting that's been really obvious over the past couple of years. And I think it's a really bad and dangerous trend. So the notion that we, yes, we're gatekeepers to some degree because we can't put every piece of information out. There's not enough space and time. So we're always making decisions. But the notion that we get to decide a narrative or how a story should come out or what you think on the front end and therefore exclude entire people and viewpoints and ideas, I think is a really dangerous thing in this country. 
I agree, and I, I think it also it protects. Uh, oddly enough, by by creating this narrative, it protects those with the most power, with the most cynical means or most cynical ends, um, because those are the ones that are able to pull the strings, either with you know uh, uh, funding or with you know filling them with the with the the panelists that they need and things like that. One example that that we gave on the campaign trail about how these narratives are so dangerous is that. Uh, with this COVID-19 pandemic, most Americans don't realize that the federal government didn't allow COVID testing for nearly two months, for the, the first two months of the outbreak. And that that's more than likely what led to it spreading out of control is that for it, during the time that it could have potentially been contained or at least greatly slowed, no one was able to even test anyone to know if they had it. And that's never mentioned. I, I we, we live streamed the debates and we're waiting for someone to mention that fact. And it was never mentioned because it would in, it would damn both Republicans and Democrats. And so because it because it would hurt both sides, no one talked about it. And it's it's a very troubling thing. So I, I, I guess, you know, you know, what I want to obviously besides reading your book, you know, going obviously going out and buying your book and, and, and reading about it. What are the things that you think people should be doing today you know, there's only so much we can do to demand from others. What can people be doing in their choices, their consuming choices, to try to uh, help or demand for there to be more unbiased media out there? Well, continue to call out what you see when it's wrong and unfair. Don't be bullied by what I call the box, living in the box, which is where these interests want you to live. They realize that if they can get you totally relying on information on the news and online and on social media, which they can effectively fairly well control, that they can basically control your access to almost everything. So don't live in that box. Don't agree to do it. Call it out when you see it. Don't feel bullied. Don't let them make you think, which is what social media is designed to do and the control by these powerful interests, whether it's Wikipedia or Snopes or Facebook, Twitter, and so on. The interests that control it and have all kinds of accounts and ways to put a lot of narratives out there and, you know, keep certain ones off. They want you to think you're an outlier when you're not for having a certain thought or a feeling or an idea or wanting information. They want you to believe you're like one of the only ones that want or want to hear it or that something's wrong with you. So listen to your cognitive dissonance when you start getting those messages and realize that this box is a piece of information someone's trying to manipulate quite successfully, but live outside of it. You know, when when I travel around the country and around the world, there's an entirely different impression I have of whether it's how people are getting along and what's happening in this country than what you get if you go to these information sources that are supposed oh, gosh, to be yeah. facts. Yeah. So trust that and just try to not let yourself be liable to this managed information landscape that they're trying to create. Yeah, I, I just traveled all 35 states, uh, 70 campaign stops, talked with tens of thousands of people. And it was it was what you hear on TV and what you see on social media and the bits and pieces of what they try to show you. Um, you know, uh, when people heard that I was going to Portland, they're like, watch out. There's, you know, the city's burning down. And I went there and there's a part that, you know, there was some uh, difficult things that were happening usually at night, but most of the city was still really, they were much more ravaged by the lockdowns uh, than they were by the, by the protests or the riots. Um, so when, given the fact that our news media uh, environment right now is overwhelmingly biased, 
uh, and that, you know, even on social media is also increasingly biased with this fact checking stuff. And, you know, sources have determined this to be untrue and all of that. What is the best way to try to find out the truth? We obviously can't be omnipresent, so we have to rely on getting information. Is it just getting as many different sources as possible? Is it trying to find the primary source of whatever the news thing is and find it out for yourself? Like, what what is the best way for someone to try to uh, get as unbiased as a picture as possible, given the, the the environment that they're in right now? There are people working on this problem. So I think something will emerge in the next four years because there are technical people trying to create platforms that can't be deplatformed when people are off the narrative and simply reporting things the way they are, Mm -hmm. or studies or viewpoints that powerful interests don't want. There are journalists who want to do that kind of reporting and there are investors who want to invest in it. So there's people looking to solve that problem. But in the meantime, I think you use the tools that they're using against us as cues. So when Twitter labels something and says it's not true or it's been debunked or challenged, that's your cue to say someone powerful doesn't want me to look into this or to believe it. It may be true and I need to dig further, find other sources like you say. In the last chapter of Slanted, I suggest going to places like, and I have a whole list of places, Real Clear Politics. They will aggregate left and right and center. So you may not get an unbiased view of something, but at least you can get a well-rounded view of what both sides are saying. If you're looking for something more in this time when things are shifting, we don't really have a lot of unbiased sources to go to. I think you can find your own sources, left, right, center, and otherwise, that you rely on for certain information. I like Glenn Greenwald, for example, who leans quite left, but I like him on topics of free speech, free press, government manipulation. I like, and these recommendations came from some of my colleagues, David Martin at CBS and Pete Williams at NBC when it comes to national security issues who report in what I think is a unbiased fashion, by and large, not seeming to be subjected to the beats that they cover. They don't just vomit out what the government tells them. And I name a whole host of people and sources and outlets that I think you can turn to and find your own sourcing for the subjects that you care about. And lastly, I know people don't have time to do this. It's almost not fair to say it because that's what the news was supposed to do. But I tell people, seek your own original sourcing as much as possible. And for me, that means I go to C-SPAN and I watch a hearing in context or a news conference in context, and they have a lot of it. And almost every time I come away with a different takeaway than what I saw reported on the news when I see something that's originally sourced, you know, as it actually happened, which should tell you a lot. And if you have the opportunity to do that, that's the best thing you can do in this time when the news is not really... I think, being an honest arbiter of this information. Well, those all sound like very good uh, recommendations. And Cheryl, I really appreciate you coming on. Before I let you go, I just want to give you a chance to say anything you feel like needed to be said in the next few minutes that you didn't get a chance to say. Plug anything you want to do. Uh, As I always do with all of my guests, I give you the last word. Cheryl Atkinson, the floor is yours. Well, thank you. I would just say, um, I think the thing I think is most important is telling people that the power lies in you. If you're not subjected to these narratives and these stories and you become more aware of it, it's not successful. And I look at Twitter. I still use Twitter some. I also use Parler, which is not using algorithms to tamp down my reach as Twitter and Facebook have drastically used in the past couple of years. And I think if we think cerebrally about it, If all the people leave Twitter 
who are tr- who the powerful interests are trying to manage. They have nobody to manage anymore. They're speaking to the choir. Right. It almost as if that goes away. That level of influence doesn't exist for them anymore. We have to find ways to kind of supersede these influences that they've worked so hard to obtain. We hold the power. We're the product. They're out to get us to think a certain way. And by maintaining our own independence and critical thinking, we kind of remove that marketability that they have for us. And we can, I think, come out of this with a different paradigm that's something different than this really sad, sorry state that we've come to today. Right as I finally learned how to use Twitter, uh, you're, you're saying we should. <laughs> no, but you're right. You're right. We have to do something. So uh, I really appreciate your time, Cheryl. Thank you again so much for coming on. And, uh, and I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And folks, thank you for tuning in to this uh, beginning of 2021, this first of 2021 episode of My Fellow Americans. I am so excited to start this year with y'all. This is going to be fantastic. We're just getting started. Uh, All sorts of fun stuff is going to be coming up. In fact, if you live anywhere near Sacramento, California, uh, come out and join me this weekend. I will be uh, this Saturday at 4 p.m. Was that Pacific time? Yeah, Pacific time, local time, 4 p.m., uh, in Sacramento, California, I will be one of the speakers at the Reopen California Now protest. Uh, we will be on the western steps of the state capitol building in beautiful downtown Sacramento. Uh, I'll be speaking about the harmful effects of these absurd lockdowns and why they need to end. Uh, so I'd love to, uh, if, you, if, if you live anywhere near there, come on out and uh, I'd love to meet you and talk to you in person. And uh, be sure to tune in. Have a great weekend uh, either way. And then be sure to tune in next week uh, to uh, My Fellow Americans. Well, actually, wait. Wait. Tune in next week for the next episode of Spike Cohen's Culture of Winning, where I will be speaking with uh, Wendy Hewitt, who was recently elected as a libertarian. And uh, we will be talking about how she got elected, what she intends to do, and help to build the blueprint for how libertarians can get elected across the country. And then next Tuesday, uh, be sure to tune in at 8 o'clock for the Muddy Waters of Freedom, where Matt Wright and I parse through the week's events like the... What are we going to be for 2021? Like the 2020 Wonder Boys that we are. And then uh, tune in next week right here. Same spike place, same spike time for another amazing episode of My Fellow Americans. I'm Spike Cohen, and you are the power. God bless, guys.
like mine. Sometimes darkness is all I find. You know what they say about an eye for an eye and a time with the blind lead the blind. Who am I to deny? I would cry when a loved one dies. I recognize that body outside with the holes in the body that was alive. Now confined with a chalk outline. Find out how, but you never know why. It ain't even make it to the news at nine. It ain't even make it to the news at nine. That's my sister, mother, father, brother, son. That's one of mine. Hold these tears, I close my eyes. Open up to only find I'm in line. There's a point this murder happened all the time. Either Lose your life or mine Caught up in their first desire That ain't how it started now How were we supposed to survive? There's a war going on outside Who would want to raise a child? Whom the tomb is flashing by? Now you have to say goodbye When you watch them on the news at five Don't tell me how, tell me why Thank you.